Let us pray. Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of your name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and bring forth in us the fruit of good works. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face, and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace. To the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The word of the Lord. Reading from 2 Corinthians. But I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but to some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege, the joy it is to be able to read your word, to be able to study it and discuss it, to learn from it. So we thank you and we pray, come Holy Spirit, and open our our minds, our hearts, our souls to learn from you. We pray for all the children in our midst today that you would bless them, teach them, grow them as your followers, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so uh, in the season, we've uh, been doing a drawing prompt, encouraging, again, kids, but anyone who wants to, uh, to engage uh, with the, the sermon uh, through um, drawing, and there are some drawing materials back there if you want to grab those. I see some kids back there right now grabbing them. Um, and so uh, your drawing prompt uh, today, um, uh, in our reading, we're looking at 2 Corinthians Paul talks about a letter, and of course, 2 Corinthians is a letter, um, and uh, it addresses another letter that he wrote to them um, in this letter, but I want you to draw a picture of someone writing a letter, all right? So that's just the broad picture challenge, um, but then you can decide, like, what time period you want to write, draw them writing a letter. So that could be someone writing a letter today, which I don't know if we count text as letters, but if you want to, you can show, show them texting. Maybe that's something you see all the time, so that's not really fun to draw. Maybe you can draw someone typing on a computer, draw someone actually writing with a real pen and real paper, um, or maybe you want to draw someone historically writing a picture. So maybe you want to think about what did it look like, uh, or draw a picture of someone historically writing a letter. Maybe you want to imagine what did it look like for Paul writing the letter, which I'll tell you, as best as we can tell, Paul probably didn't write his letters. Probably someone else wrote them, and he just spoke them out. So that could be fun to draw, or you know, you could draw a caveman with a hammer and chisel. Whatever you want to draw, that's your assignment. Um, and as I always say, I'd love to see them. I'd never get to see them, because people don't send me their drawings. They send them to Miss Andrea. Uh, but if you want to share them with me, I'd love to see them. So, and again, all are welcome to draw, and those of you online. I forgot to welcome and thank you, those that are watching online. So thank you for participating with us over um, the the computer, and uh, you are, of course, welcome to draw as well. Um, so now, having given you that assignment, I want to give you another assignment and sort of invite you. I want to actually invite you to sort of think through some emotional responses that you've had to, to different situations um, in your life. I'm actually going to ask you to kind of remember sometimes that maybe we're hard emotionally, 
Um, but um, in the first week when we began Second Corinthians a couple weeks ago, uh, I spoke about how this is really an emotional letter. Um, matter of fact, we were just saying um, in the prayer time before the service, um, even reading Second Corinthians can be tricky at times because you get kind of the emotion and, and uh, there's a lot going on. And you can pick it up even in, you know, it can be a hard book to read sometimes because it's almost hard to follow Paul. And many people think that's part of that is because he felt so, emotion, so much emotion as he was writing. It was such sort of a charged relationship with the, the Corinthian church. As I shared when we began the, the service, this letter is actually coming as things are starting to got be, get better in the church, but there's still a lot of issues. And so, again, part of entering into sort of the story of Second Corinthians is entering into some of the emotion and some of the underlying sort of relational things that are happening there. So first of all, I want you to try to recall a time, um, this probably won't be hard um, uh, to remember one, maybe hard to think about, but a time where you just felt disappointed by someone. Maybe you felt sort of slighted, um, that they did something, maybe made a change of plans, as was the case in, with the Corinthian church and Paul. But they did something where you felt like, man, that hurt, you know, and, and maybe you even knew they weren't meaning to hurt me, but you felt hurt by it. Um, and to, again, kind of remember a situation like that where you felt slighted, where you felt like you were mistreated um, by someone, and, and someone that you, ex- you didn't expect that from, someone you really expected to, to show um, love to you, but it felt like a lack of love. All right, so take a moment, uh, think about that. What did that feel like? What was that like? What was the circumstances around that? Okay, again, now I will ask you to think of something else negative. A time where you um, felt misunderstood. Or maybe, again, you were on the other end of that uh, situation where someone felt like you had mistreated them in some way, that you had slighted them, um, but that you knew, ah, that wasn't my goal at all. Actually, I was trying to bless that person. I was trying to be helpful, but ended up hurting them in some way. So again, if you can kind of recall those feelings of being misunderstood. And I'm asking you again to, to think about those because to get a sense of some of the dynamics happening in, in this passage, not a long passage, but again, that's sort of underlying what's happening here. The Corinthian church has felt slighted uh, by Paul, and, and, and Pete talked about this last week, that he had planned to visit them and then he changed his plans. And that change of plans they felt like was a message to them, I don't care about you, I'm not committed to you. Right? And so they felt hurt, and not only did they not get a visit from Paul, but instead they got a letter, a letter that Paul himself calls the painful letter, the severe letter. Right? And so imagine someone's supposed to come visit you, and instead you get a letter from them, and it's a very confrontational letter, a, a hurtful letter. So that's what's going on for the Corinthian church. Um, again, a church that Paul founded, a church that Paul knows well, and there's strong relationships between them. Right? But Paul is experiencing being misunderstood. So he actually made a decision that ultimately his goal was to actually help the Corinthian church and to, to be a blessing to them, but he knows that they felt hurt by him. And so he's dealing with these emotions of being misunderstood. And as Pete talked about last week, Paul's dealing with, I actually am a person of integrity. I try to be very clear. I try to be very open. And they're actually accusing him of being secretive and of being wishy-washy. When again, Paul kind of at the core of many of his you know, beliefs is conviction, right? And strength, right? Um, and belief. And they're actually accusing him of not following through on something when he's very committed to following through. So those are the dynamics at work here. And Paul's addressing those and addressing again, kind of a holdover a little bit from last week, why he didn't come visit them. Why did he send this letter? And then addressing a specific situation, a, a pastoral crisis, we could call it, um, in the church. But as he's dealing with these situations, and it's helpful for us, again, to understand what's going on there, what's the contemporary reality of of what was happening there, we can also then listen for, what is he teaching them? Because, again, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, in the Scriptures, is always teaching us. So while we can try to enter into the story and understand it, we also be listening for, 
how am I learning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be the church, right? The people of God. How do I learn from this? What is Paul, and even more specifically, what is the Holy Spirit through Paul teaching me even in the midst of these interpersonal dynamics that I can enter into and see happening here. And I want to suggest in this short passage where we see Paul teaching them that godly confrontation aims for restoration. All right, so I don't often have a nice little short one point, but that's my one point today, so you can even write it down um, if you want to. A godly confrontation aims for restoration. And so godly confrontation, again, is we have to confront someone in the Lord, or as we're confronted in the Lord, right, in some way, that the aim, the goal for that should always be restoration. Restoration of relationship, maybe between us and the person that we're being confronted by or that we're having to confront or the situation that's being confronted, and restoration ultimately, of course, between us and the Lord or between a community and the Lord. And so Paul, again, is, there's been confrontation, right? And there's a bit of a confrontation in this passage. There certainly has been in their past But he wants to make it very clear. The aim is restoration. The aim, the goal is actually that love would be restored among them, that joy would be restored among them. And so the first thing we can say really in the the first paragraph is we see that godly confrontation is often necessary, or at least sometimes is necessary. Unfortunately, that's part of life. It's part of living as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, is at times we're going to be confronted, at times we're going to give confrontation. And again, we're confronted by the Word of God often. And sometimes, again, we're confronted by one another. And sometimes we have to bring confrontation. But that's part of it, right? That's often necessary. Now, again, in this short paragraph uh, there at the bottom of six, um, uh, there's a lot of emotion there. It can be a little hard to follow what exactly he's saying. And just note, and maybe you caught this when it was read, how many times he says the word pain. It's like seven, eight times that in this short paragraph, the word pain comes up and in the beginning of the next paragraph. Right? It's actually also, um, that word can be translated grief. And so he's very aware there's been pain. There's been grief, right? I didn't come as I told you I was going to come. I changed my travel plans. Then I sent this letter, and I know that there's been pain. But we also hear in this that he's saying that pain was not um, there for the sake of just causing pain. It was actually there for the sake of healing, for the sake of restoration. So if I caused you pain, there is a reason for it. And so in verse 3, And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice, for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. Again, it's like, what? Is that, what does he mean by that? Basically, he's saying, I know I caused you pain in writing this letter. But my goal, actually, was that when we came, when I finally do come to visit you, there would actually be joy. That my goal in writing a painful letter was to restore us to a joyful relationship. In a sense, the pain was necessary, but that wasn't my ultimate goal, just to cause you pain. My ultimate goal was actually to get through the pain so that there would be restoration of our relationship and that you would be restored in your relationship with the Lord. So as I've thought about this and thought about how, how can we, like, what's the analogy to what Paul's trying to say to them? I thought, like, what if someone who didn't know anything about medicine, I knew nothing about medicine at all, but had um, appendicitis? And so they're feeling this incredible pain. They, someone says, you know, there are these things called doctors. You should go talk to one. They'll help you. They go to the doctor, and the doctor says, okay, you have appendicitis. So what I need to do is I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to cut you open. I'm going to take a part of your body out of you and get rid of it and sew you back up. And the person, right, if you didn't know anything about medicine, would say, wait, I came to you for healing, and you're basically saying you're going to do violence to me. Right? I need help. I need the pain to go away. And you're telling me that you're going to, you know, cut me open and remove part of my body from me. Right? It would seem cruel if you didn't know anything about medicine. 
And Paul is basically saying, look, this letter I sent to you was, in a sense, painful medicine. But the goal is actually healing. There's godly confrontation, right? I, I needed you to confront you. And, of course, part of the dynamic here, and I talked about this at the beginning, and it'll come up again and again, is he wants to make clear to them, this is my calling, right? My calling, actually, is to love you as an apostle, but for me to truly love you as your leader, as your spiritual father in the Lord, I need to speak the truth to you, and I need to confront. And, actually, the painful letter was, uh, uh, was required so that there may be joy because we have to deal with the problems, right? There's correction that needs to be made. But, again, healing is the goal. Now, where the doctor analogy breaks down is actually look at verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. That word affliction, again, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, comes up um, a couple times in chapter 1. And Paul actually uses it in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians to speak of when he almost dies in Ephesus. There's a big riot there, and we think that's what he was speaking about in chapter 1, where his, where his life's in danger. So he's using a word that he's used before to speak of him almost dying, and he's saying, this is what I felt when I wrote this letter to you. And I don't think he's trying to be overdramatic. I think he's wanting us to make the connection, right, and wanting them to make the connection, saying, it was like I was dying. Right? The pain I felt in writing this letter was equivalent to when I almost died in a riot. Right? That's how hard it was. But why would I write it then? Right? I mean, you can say, why would you do that? If, you, if it causes you such pain to write the letter, if it causes us such pain to receive it, why would you ever write something like that? But he makes it clear to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Actually, it was the loving thing to write the letter. If I didn't love you that much, if I wasn't that committed to you, I would have just let it go. Right? You would have just said, ah, oh, the Corinthian church, they're a mess. I'm done with them. I'll just stop being in touch with them. Let them work it out. It's because he loves them, actually, that he's staying in the relationship. He's sending the letter. He's trying to find a way that actually he could have a good visit with them. He's preparing the way. But it's actually out of his love, right? Again, godly confrontation is inspired by, it aims for, that there would be healing, that there would be restored love. I think of a a friend of mine, um, uh, I don't know real well, but we had an opportunity. We were on a retreat together and we were sharing some about his family. He was sharing about a number of years ago when uh, one of his sons was a young adult, was sort of done with school, but was living at home. And the son had a, a severe struggle uh, with drugs and with drug abuse. And his parents became more and more aware of just how bad um, things were. Um, and they were trying to help him and help him get involved in some sort of programs and places where he could get um, help. And his son was very, re- their son was very resistant to this. And as they began to seek counsel and seek out counselors and help, it became clear and clear to them that they, they needed to ask their son to leave the home. That actually him staying in their house was actually making the problem worse. And you can guarantee, right, there, there was affliction and anguish of heart that they experienced. Maybe some of you had ha- have had a similar experience. But they had to tell their son, you have to leave. Right? And, of course, from their son's perspective, this was cruel. Right? It was awful. And you can imagine him telling his friends, my parents kicked me out. You know, here I am in a place of great need, and they kicked me out. Right? But, of course, they were causing him pain. There was no doubt that they were causing him pain. But their aim was restoration for him, for their relationship, for his own issues. And, thankfully, praise God, they did eventually experience that. And their son, after actually a couple of years, finally began to seek out help and got sober. Right? And those were anguished years. But they took that step out of love. Now, those are pretty dramatic examples. Both the Second Corinthians example, right, and that example, my friend. Sometimes this may be small things for us. Maybe it's just sort of a tricky conversation uh, with someone that we love to say, I don't know, it seems like things are a little off for you. Right? It seems like maybe there's some patterns that you're falling into that are actually doing damage to you, that are damaging others. 
seems like maybe there's some of your thinking about the Lord and who He is and His love for you that actually seems a little off, right? Again, when I say it that way, it's like, oh, that's not that hard. But if you've been in that, and I'm sure many of us have, of having to have a conversation like that, it is so difficult, right? And I'm a middle child, right? I mean, I, I live for avoiding conflict, right? That's what I learned growing up. So, I mean, I'm not saying this is one who has to learn that as well. But again, that's actually the loving thing often, is to take that step and to say, I, I got to bring up something to, to, to godly confront someone. Even that word confront, we probably hear like, I do not want to do that. But obviously at times that is the loving thing, right? It's actually the less loving thing to say, eh, I'll just ignore it. Oh, I'll just you know, pretend it's not an issue. And what the Lord calls us to actually is, is godly confrontation, Christ-like confrontation. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's necessary. But we see then in the next paragraph, the godly confrontation right, is not punishment. And that needs to be so clear. And what apparently has happened for the Corinthian church is they've heard this message, okay, you have to confront, and they've actually um, gone so far that they forgot about forgiveness. They forgot about the restoration piece. So we can say, yes, godly confrontation is often necessary, but it's always aimed for restoration. Right? The goal is not actually to hurt someone so that they can be hurt and they can experience what you experienced. The goal is actually restoration of relationship. And so in the second paragraph, there's a little bit of a jump, but you can see how, you know, it would flow. You know, he's talking about, look, I've caused you pain, but it was for the sake of healing. Now I want to address a situation where you've had to confront someone in your midst, but you're missing the healing part, right? You've confronted them. That's good. But now you're actually not restoring them. There's no restoration. Now, the specific situation, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of debate what exactly is going on here. Um, if you've ever studied 1 Corinthians, you may remember there's a moment in 1 Corinthians where um, uh, Paul speaks to a member of the church that was in immoral, um, uh, an immoral relationship um, that was so flagrant, right? I mean, so obviously wrong um, that Paul's like, how can you be okay with this, right? And they had gotten so confused in their theology that they were sort of celebrating, like, look how immoral that guy is. That's like somehow represented freedom in Christ for them. So, so Paul's like, you got to discipline this guy, right? I mean, he's flagrantly disobeying what the Lord would call him to. And so some wonder, actually, is that what, is what happened here is did they respond to that call to discipline and overdid it, and now they're not offering forgiveness. Um, others wonder, and this actually seems to be more likely, was this someone that actually confronted Paul? Is this someone that actually perhaps in the last visit, which, again, we talked about was a, a painful visit, um, was this a, a leader maybe in the church who specifically said to Paul, look, you know, I don't want you as an apostle. You know, I don't believe you're called by God to lead us. I reject you. Um, uh, because it seems to be that this person actually um, uh, had some issue with Paul. And Paul's making it clear, actually, the issue isn't, it was with me, but really it's about you. He really sinned against you. Because we're rejecting me. If God called me to lead you and you're rejecting me, then... Um, if he's rejecting me, then he's really sinning against you as a congregation uh, by rejecting me. So you can get that a little bit in the beginning. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me. But in some measure, I, I love he's kind of trying to, you know, work this out. Not to put it too severely to all of you. It's like he's wanting to say, look, yeah, he did confront me. Yes, he did hurt me. But ultimately, he hurted you. Um, and that's really what you need to understand. And so for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So whatever happened, they responded to it, right? They punished this person, right? But, but then he says, but you rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, right? And so have you ever experienced this where, again, you were hurt by somebody? Maybe you felt like, okay, I need to confront them. I need to, to work this out, right? We need to work out this hurt, right? But suddenly then you found yourself in a place where really your goal was just to make them feel bad because they made you feel bad, right? Whereas really, you know, your motivation was not so much healing 
It was, I just want them to feel what I felt. They rejected me. I want them to feel rejection, right? They, they slided me. I want them to feel that pain, right? Maybe that's not conscience. It's usually not. But you suddenly realize, ooh, like I'm actually not aiming for restoration. I'm just aiming for punishment. I'm just aiming for them to feel what I've felt, for them to suffer. And that seems to be what's happening here. Right? And Paul is saying, look, this guy, you know, again, seems very likely confronted me, but I don't want him to be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I want him to turn away from his sin and to be restored. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. That's why I wrote you, that I might test you and know whether you're obedient and everything. So he's celebrating. You, you were obedient in this, right? I asked you to deal with the situation you dealt with, it, but now be obedient to me in forgiving him. Right? That's the, the, what I truly want, and restoring him to fellowship. So Paul's basically saying, look, just as I've confronted you in order for us to be restored in a relationship, you've confronted this man, now you need to be restored in your relationship. And this is where verse 10 then is very important. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I think there he's saying, you know, really it's not so much against me as against you, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So basically he's saying to them, as I've acted towards you, you need to act toward this man. But ultimately, it's about how Christ has acted towards us. So the way I've acted in our relationship, you need to act in this relationship. But that's because the big picture is, this is how Christ has taught us. So yes, Christ confronts us on our sin, lovingly, right? The conviction of the Holy Spirit can hurt. Um, if you've experienced that, where you're suddenly aware of, yes, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Yes, I need to repent of this. Right? That can be painful when that kind of, those moments come. But we realize, oh, it's the love of God that turns me away from sin, right? Because sin damages us, right? Sin hurts us. And so this is what the Lord does, right? He opens our eyes, right? We read the scriptures, right? We read the, the prophets. We read in various places confronting us, and that is a loving confrontation, right? But it's followed by mercy, right? Yes, Christ makes us aware of our sin. The Lord makes us aware of our sin. But then it's followed by that invitation, come to me, right? Receive salvation. Be forgiven, right? There's always an invitation to come to the Lord, right? We're, we're guaranteed that if anyone confesses their sins, they are forgiven. And so he's saying that's how Christ treats us, and that's how you're to treat others, or what we've received, this is what we give. And then verse 11, so that we will not be outwitten by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. He's basically saying, look, when we don't act this way, when we don't live this out, we're falling into Satan's designs. This uh, past week, I, uh, for a few days, was in um, Asheville, North Carolina, for a, a meeting. The Anglican Church of North America, this big group we're a part of, was having a, a meeting. Different representatives of different um, churches were there. My wife, Molly, had all sorts of responsibilities, and I just showed up kind of for fun uh, to, to see people. Uh, but I was flying in later than Molly, so I was getting a ride uh, to um, the, the meeting spot uh, from the airport, and the meeting spot was at a place called The Cove um, in North Carolina, which is um, run and um, overseen by the Billy Graham um, organization, Billy Graham Center. And so um, as I was getting the ride to the, the Cove, my taxi driver uh, was telling me that he used to work in HVAC and that he had worked on the heating and cooling systems, the AC systems, at The Cove, that he had spent a lot of time there. And so he say, man, that place, you know, is really impressive. So the first thing that's so impressive about the place is everyone is super friendly. And it's true. It's super friendly. Like Disney World friendly, it's like the cove takes it to another level, right? It's like Christ-like friendliness. You know, everyone is happy to see you. Um, but he said the second thing, he said, they had the most amazing security system. He said, they really have a great security system. And they said, they must just be working really hard to keep the devil out. Um, that's uh, his thing. He said in a North Carolina accent. Um, uh, and um, uh, when I read this, I thought... This is Paul saying, this is how you keep the devil out. You know, it's not security systems. This is it. 
This is how we keep the devil out. How do we keep the devil out? We have to confront sin. We have to be willing to enter into confrontation. We have to offer grace. Right? We have to be so clear that the Lord forgives. Right? There's nothing beyond the Lord's redemption. There's always the hope of restoration. And to fall away from either one of those things is to sort of let the devil in, is to give the devil opportunities. Right? We will not be outwitted by Satan. Right? Don't turn a blind eye to sin. Right? If you love someone, confront them on that. Right, but offer grace, offer mercy, offer forgiveness. If you are causing this man excessive sorrow and not allowing him to come back into the community, then that's giving the devil a foothold. And we can see both in the church, can't we? Right? And we can see probably both in our own lives. Right? Places to, again, be outwitted by Satan, to, to let the devil in when we're called to keep the devil out. So another point in the um, a gathering, in the Anglican uh, gathering I was at, I was talking with a, um, a leader, um, a woman who... Um, off, uh, organizes a lot of gatherings and different meetings and things like that. She was talking about an experience a few years ago where she had organized um, this gathering. It was like a two-day sort of meeting of different leaders, international leaders and um, local um, leaders. Um, and she said the second day, uh, one of these um, leaders um, just sort of took over the meeting from her and really ran with it in a way that was not honoring her leadership, was not honoring the direction that she was leading the group, but kind of said, I think we should go in this direction and just went for it. And she was sharing the pain that she felt in that. And unfortunately, it's not unusual for women leaders to experience that from men and experience being, feeling run over. And she'd experienced that and how painful um, that was for her. But then she said to me, she said, but God gave me an opportunity this week. She said, because I saw that leader. He's here at this meeting. And he came up to me and he said, hey, could you do me a favor? I'm trying to get in touch with this person. I know you know them really well. Would you get them in touch with me? And would you put in a good word for me? And she said, I was so glad God gave me that opportunity. Okay, now what do you think she did? She said, because I could then say to him, no, I'm not going to give you that leader's number. No way, you know, payback. No, she actually was praising God and celebrating. God gave me an opportunity to bless this guy. And I was able to say to him, yeah, I would love to set up that leader with you, right? I'd, I'd love to give you that opportunity, right? It was so beautiful. She was celebrating God gave me an opportunity to bless someone who had hurt me, right? That's keeping the devil out right there, right, to say, Oh, thank you, Lord. You allowed me to love someone that could be an enemy, but I'm actually not going to let them be an enemy. I'm going to love them. I'm going to show them grace. I don't know if she ever confronted him after that day. She may have. She may not have. But clearly, Shane, this was an opportunity to love, to bless. This is what we're called to as a church. So I want to encourage you. Pray for courage where you need courage. Courage perhaps to say a hard word. Courage perhaps to receive the confrontation of the scriptures, the confrontation of a loving friend. Let's pray for grace and for mercy. We may be quick to extend that. Let's pray for that. Lord, we do pray that where we need conviction, that you would um, soften our hearts, Lord. And Lord, I pray if there's situations where we need to to speak a hard word with someone, uh, that you would give us, again, the courage to do that. Give us the love to do that, Lord. May we truly love each other so much that we're willing at times to have difficult conversations. But as well, Lord, we pray that you would give us grace. You would give us deeper, deeper knowledge of your forgiveness that we may offer that forgiveness to others. And we ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.